Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any persons living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was our finest. Annyeong, annyeong, science boy. Here we go, Sean, my toy. God. That's Petri Dish Part 2, Cannabinoids. Jesus. Okay, yes. Hey, everyone. This is Petri Dish. I'm hey, Sean. I'm Nathan. We have our guest, Andre, hanging out over there. Woo! <laughs> and uh, this is, as Nathan was rapping earlier, Part 2 of Cannabinoids, where we're going to kind of dive into some of the details on what cannabinoids can be useful for medically. To recap, guys, in part one, we talked about how cannabinoids are like cannabis. <laughs> Sean, help me out here. <laughs> wow, shit. Yes. So in part one, we started out talking about the cannabis plant, and then we went into the different kinds of molecules that are in the cannabis plant, including terpenes, but then also, you know, the big thing. Yeah. Cannabinoids. Ooh. <laughs> And then after that, we went into the endocannabinoid system. That's your, you know, within your own body. Body. And how cannabinoids interact with your body. Interact. And then what the current science is on, like, the different ways that cannabis can help you. But in this episode, we're going to take a deeper dive into those topics, especially the ones that you'll kind of hear on the streets kind of anecdotally, right? You know, cancer, cancer. glaucoma. And whether it helps with addiction or not, you know, stuff like that. And we're going to hit all of those topics this time here in Petri Dish Part 2 of Cannabinoids. And we're back. We're here to talk about cannabinoids. And now the subject's cancer. Mr. Science Man, tell me, how do you treat cancer with marijuana? Okay, that's not totally what this section is about. Uh, okay, anyway. You son of a bitch. <laughs> sure, Your up. notes misled me. <laughs> no, okay. So, cannabinoids have been recognized for their uses in palliative care for cancer. So, being able to help with the nausea from chemo, pain relief from the treatments, appetite stimulation. So, these things have been recognized. But the question is if it can help with cancer. Not right. all the other shit. Yeah. So one thing that science does know is that cancer cells generally have increased amounts of the endocannabinoid receptors that THC binds to. Does that matter? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> cannabinoids, when you toss them onto cancer cells in a plate, often have an anti-cancer effect. It'll like slow down their growth or kill them. Although with some cancers, tossing it on them in a plate seems to make them grow faster. 
So that's kind of all over the place. Hmm. I think that's more cancer's fault, though. But these studies are about specific cannabinoids rather than, like, smoking marijuana. Right. So there are specific cannabinoids, like they'll take CBD or they'll take THC, and then they'll put it on cancer cells at some concentration in a plate. So this is not even in a mouse, let alone in a human. But when THC does harm cancer cells, it seems to promote their death through these two processes called ER stress and autophagy. Cool. And then apoptosis. Is that just when they kill themselves? Apoptosis is when they kill themselves. Autophagy is when they start eating themselves. And ER stress, the ER is uh, endoplasmic reticulum. There was a, a while where our mom was working at the Getty Villa, and she was saying autophagy a lot. She just like practice it over again. She'd be like, you know, Egyptians would practice autophagy. <laughs> yeah, she would say sarcophagus. That was one of them. But yeah. the other one was autophagy. She would ask us if we knew what phagus was. <laughs> and I was like, more than you will ever know, mother. <laughs> yeah, so that was rough. Anyway. So endoplasmic reticulum stress. Why are you stressing my ER? Sure. So the ER is a place where a lot of folding happens. I mean, it's folded on itself. Oh, and also that, yeah. Right. And so proteins need to fold properly in order to work. It's got ribosomes on the outside of it, too. Yeah, that's true. Oh, (laughs) I don't... What is happening to you today? Why are you being so useful? I'm not into it. This is, like, frustrating. Okay, look. So, protein folding is important for proteins to work. But there can be situations where, kind of across the board, you'll have a lot of proteins misfolding for some reason. It could be during heat shock. Right? So sometimes if cells get too hot, a lot of proteins denature. Anyway, that can set off the ER stress signaling. So the endoplasmic reticulum will be like, wow, there's a lot of proteins fucked <laughs> up. And then, yeah, it gets like anxiety. Sean, <laughs> <laughs> um, did you know that if you unfolded all the proteins in the human body, you would have a train that went from Earth to Pluto? <laughs> Uh, Isn't that amazing? Uh, that's so good. That's so good because that's exactly the kind of like factoid things that I hate so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily this one's also false. So if you took a piece of paper the size of Manhattan and folded it 27 times, yeah. you'd, you'd have, have a tesseract. To- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't fucking fuck you so much. Anyway, <laughs> so that was THC. Can cause cancer cells to kill themselves. CBD can also do this sometimes, although the mechanism is less clear. And if you use CBD in animal models, like in mice, you seem to be able to reduce metastasis. Not necessarily the tumor growth itself, but the spreading of the tumor to other organs. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that is good. What about seizures? Hold on, I'm not at seizures yet, you slut. We're still talking about cancer. Yeah, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more on cancer. I'm sorry. Okay. Cannabinoids also seem to be anti-inflammatory. Like, that's something that some people say about them that they could potentially like right, is that they could be anti-inflammatory for your body. Well, how'd you even know that? You just shoot into people's skulls when they have meningitis or something? Like, how would you even figure that out? So low-grade chronic inflammatory responses can be for things like arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis and things. Mm. And so what they've seen is that in some experiments, cannabinoids seem to reduce the amount of cytokines, which are pro-inflammatory signaling proteins. All this, like, low research stuff sounds to me like someone just read Willie Nelson's diary. <laughs> He's like, oh, I couldn't play my guitar, and then I got high, and I did. Well, well but- wait a minute, hold on. What I know about, uh, at least THC, I don't know about uh, cannab- cannabinoids in general, is that they're vasodilators, right? Like, does that help with what you're talking about? Well, like it's, it's what makes your eyes red and why it's supposedly good for glaucoma, right? 
Yeah, so I don't know if vasodilation necessarily helps or hurts in terms of cancer or being anti-inflammatory, but it definitely affects or it seems to affect your immune system in some kind of complicated way. And if it is not just anti-inflammatory, but immunosuppressive, then maybe it would actually make it harder to fight cancer. So, I mean, in any case, there's some kinks to work out. They took some THC in a phase one pilot study and they injected it into the skull of patients with glioblastoma. Jesus. That's the brain cancer. And it seemed like maybe it reduced tumor growth a little bit. But phase one studies are actually for toxicity. They're not for curing people. It's just to see if it kills people <laughs> when you do it. So, so it was only nine patients and they couldn't totally tell if it worked. So, hey, you're about to die from cancer. Mind if we inject THC directly into your brain? That's, uh, I mean, phase one studies, dude. <laughs> that's kind of what I was curious about. So that really is, what Andre said is really what it is, huh? Yeah, so every once in a while, phase one studies are with drugs that you think are not going to be toxic and healthy patients that know what they're getting into. But in a lot of cases, especially if it's supposed to be a chemotherapeutic or something to help with cancer, yeah, it's people that know that you're doing this for safety purposes right so you go up to them and you say oh you're gonna live don't worry it's not gonna be a big deal sign this paper and then you have a scientific study like a year later <laughs> so sean tell me about cannabinoids and seizures well hold on, hold on wait one last thing while we're still on the topic of cancer actually yeah i'm gonna assume you didn't run into this in your research because it's like almost certainly not actual science okay but in the in the world of people who think of cannabis as a miracle cure there's a particular formulation called rick simpson oil <laughs> named, so named after the guy who pushes it but it's basically the whole idea behind this oil is that it's supposed to cure cancer which i'm immediately skeptical of because yep. anything that says oh yeah just consume this and it'll cure, cure your all cancer, cancer now you're yeah. fine like obviously that's nonsense but what this rick simpson oil is it's in the industry now it would be called crude oil or crude cannabis oil which is like just this sort of dirty form before it's like cleaned up through a distillation process. Okay. But uh, he basically was like, yeah, just just make this concentrated oil by combining some kind of solvent, ethanol, isopropyl alcohol, or even acetone. You mix the plant material with this solvent, filter it, and then boil away the solvent, and you have left this like black, highly concentrated oil that has... I mean, it has the THC, it has the CBD, I'm sure it has a whole bunch of terpenes in there. It also still has, like, a bunch of chlorophyll, which makes it come out all black and gross-looking and shit. Sure. But the idea is you, like, work your way up to consuming, like, five or more grams of this disgusting cannabis oil a day. Wow, shit. And it's supposed to cure you of all cancers. And, like, obviously that's nonsense. But it's, it's good it, but for it, people on the street to just know that that's a thing. It sounds like maybe some of these cancers, though, respond to like the THC itself. Like it isn't just for uh, appetite, yeah. like bringing well, appetite back. There could one day for certain cancers be a treatment where you just like bombard that K2 
cancer or tumor or so be it with THC and that could actually shrink the tumor. Well, it kind of reminds me of Eastern medicine, right? Where it's like, if your dick don't work, you just like kill 50 different species of animals and like grind up all their weirdest parts and then take it. And like one of those things is going to work, right? (laughs) And you don't kind of entirely know what or in what combination, but it may work. This is like that for some types of cancer, maybe, right? Yeah, so the scientist in me really dislikes absolutes. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't even go around saying that, like, this shit doesn't work. I think, first of all, almost any treatment for cancer, to find it being actually effective, you usually have to do what's called stratification of the patients. And that means that you need to, like... You only give it to rich people. (laughs) No, it's like, oh... Cancers that are this type in this organ at this staging of the cancer, maybe with these genetic markers or something. And then if you only look at that group, then maybe some kind of treatment is effective at helping. And I think that uh, I think that if you're taking a shitload of chemicals and tossing them into your body, which is basically what this oil is, right? It's just like a, you know, probably... 400 to 500 different chemicals and ingesting them at increasingly huge amounts, then probably a lot of them are going to end up in the tumor. That's just like inevitably where a lot of the stuff you put into your body will end up. The tumor likes to eat things, right? Sure. So it wouldn't surprise me if it fucking does weird shit to those cells. It wouldn't also surprise me if it did weird shit to a lot of your other cells in your body. Right. And on top of all that, one interesting thing that I have found when looking into the different research studies is that a lot of times the scientists and the patients are trying to find solutions that don't have THC in them. So for things like cancer treatments and stuff like that, there are some people who like want to be able to take the treatment and then go to work and not be high all day. You know what I mean? So like there's actually some question of like, okay, can we get the therapeutic effects without getting high? And so there's all kinds of mixtures and shit that people are trying to figure out. And maybe someday they'll find out like, oh, Rick Simpson oil was just the version, start. version 1.0 of like some kind of sexy cure. Right. Sure. But right now, Rick Simpson oil does not work with the capitalist model super well. <laughs> and look, for the record, I'm not trying to advocate for it. I'm very skeptical. <laughs> but at the same time, if I was being told, hey, you've got this cancer, we've already tried all these chemotherapy and other drugs it's not doing anything we think it's terminal i mean fuck it why not right i would be consuming tons of cannabis oil so there is one point i will bring up on that which is even when you're taking single drug formulations and stuff like that there's the chance that that can interact with other things Right. Like there are certain drugs you're not supposed to take and drink alcohol, for example. Right. And there are some combinations of drugs that if you take them, they can be very dangerous for you. There's some drugs you can't take while you consume grapefruit. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so it's possible that given how many chemicals you'd be ingesting in very high amounts with this oil, it might make certain other drugs too effective. It might increase their toxicity. Or it might make them ineffective. It might actually bind to them and interact with them in such a way that they no longer work. So as with all of these things, you know, if you're going to a medical doctor, which if you have cancer, go to a medical doctor. Or a licensed acupuncturist. (laughs) God damn it. Uh, We now need to... I got a great chiropractor that says he can cure cancer. (laughs) Thank you, Heidi. We're not giving medical advice. Anyway, so because of the possibility of drug interactions, I would say... 
we super fucking need research on this shit because if people are going to try to self-medicate, it could actually be harmful if they're on certain chemotherapeutics or something. We just don't know. And when chemotherapeutics are so harmful to your body as is that anything that could make them slightly more harmful or less bang for your buck effective would be like a pretty serious health risk. Well, and on a final note, I forgot that Homer Simpson's dad was named Abe and I thought his name was Rick. (laughs) So I thought this oil was named after Rick Simpson, Homer Simpson's dad. And I was like, I'll buy it. You can just imagine him in like an old timey photo being like a miracle cannabis oil. Well, (laughs) straight from the border, you know, (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Sean. Now tell me about seizures. Let's take a break first, baby, and then I'll talk to you all about those seizure boys. This episode of Petri Dish is sponsored by Safety Light, a home security solution for proactive nanny state liberals. Our competitors set up a bunch of surveillance cameras and exchange your privacy for some semblance of peace of mind. Then they alter the cops, who might show up, after they're done shaking down jaywalkers for donut money. None of that weak shit with safety light. We use a patented technology adapted from the same system Bill and Melinda Gates use to zap mosquitoes out of the sky with lasers. Our system uses these same lasers to bring the fight right to your door. After our cloud AI system verifies someone as an intruder, our lasers will guarantee their blindness, if not outright maiming. And for our conservative listeners, we have a limited time offer for Safety Light Shotgun. It's a shotgun. Shoot people yourself. You know you want to. Listen, you've heard pitches from all these other pansy security companies profiteering from the collective American unease. But a camera won't make you safe. Outright violence will. So get a fucking laser today with Safety Light. Guys, we're back with Petri Dish. Okay, Sean, now tell me about seizures. Okay. So, in people with epilepsy, one of the endocannabinoids, its levels are decreased in your cerebrospinal fluid. Like the fluid that's kind of around your spine and your brain and everything like that. The endocannabinoid level is decreased. So you might think, okay, maybe if we increase the levels of some kind of cannabinoid, then maybe we can actually kind of rebalance it out. Maybe that could be helpful for epilepsy. And so in animal studies, THC and other molecules that bind that cannabinoid receptor sometimes help to reduce seizures. And then if you use a molecule that kind of acts the opposite of THC, sometimes that seemed to lower the threshold to trigger seizures. So it made seizures more common. So that's like pretty good evidence to suggest that THC and cannabinoids could help with seizures. Okay, cool. And CBD also appears to have anticonvulsant effects. Although, as we mentioned before, CBD does not actually interact with that receptor at all. That would so, have finished the movie Garden State real fast. Someone just handed <laughs> Natalie Portman some weed, and she's like, well, fuck Zach Braff, you know? Don't they smoke weed in that, uh... Movie? Oh, that's why he got with her. Zach Braff really was on the cutting edge of a lot of medical research, wasn't he? <laughs> Yeah, man, Scrubs. He he knew what he was doing. You know what I'm talking about, baby. (laughs) He's one cameo on House. Wait, did he? No, he didn't. I don't think so. Uh, uh, Ooh, boy. Ooh, boy. Sean, don't let me distract you. What a useless digression. What about seizures? Okay. So in humans, there are conflicting studies about whether or not cannabis use reduces the incidence of seizures. But 
there was an open label study. Have we talked about what open label studies are? No. Okay, so sometimes there's things that are FDA approved for treating disease A, and then doctors will be like, oh, I think it might help with disease B, right, so I'm yeah. going to get this legal drug, but I'm going to use it for something that's not Right, FDA we talked about this vis-a-vis -vis cancer, because that happens all the time with cancer, because right. there's so many different types of cancer. Right, so right. in the open label study on children with epilepsy, they used a CBD, very, very low THC Whoa. formulation. e pedo lax uh, pedo <laughs> pedo pedo latex i think it's a epidiolex <laughs> ah okay that's is better. like a formulation 99 percent cbd less than 0.1 percent thc you know relative to each other they need to change the name it looks a lot like e pedo latex <laughs> <laughs> and what they saw was a 54 percent decrease in seizure frequency in these kids with epilepsy that's that pretty sound, good that sounds pretty significant right so there's going to be more trials now, the thing is that kind of because of the size of that study and everything, the margins of error for that result was within the placebo effect. So they need to do it with more patients, but, you know, it could work 54 out. 54% reduction in seizures is within the placebo effect? I mean, that's how it worked with me. I used to have seizures and mom just said, it's in your mind. And it worked. <laughs> yeah, so, so... I don't have them anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that at some point... You probably ran into stats about like standard deviation and shit like that, right? Mm -hmm. Which is basically, even if the average is 54%, if it was like 54 plus or minus 30%, <laughs> you know, it's like I mean? Joe Biden's electoral. Like, <laughs> right. Or if the placebo group had really wide variation, like if the placebo group was 10%, but like plus or minus 15 or something, you know, that took it down to, let's say, zero, but then up to 25%. There's ways that the statistics could have worked out that they didn't see a significant effect. Hmm. But a lot of times with standard deviations, one way to fix that up to get kind of tighter populations is to increase the sample size for statistics. So they just need to do a bigger study. And I think that that might end up helping. Sean, tell me about cannabinoids with glaucoma this is what republican old people are always telling me about uh, i don't support weed but my glaucoma so tell me about glaucoma yeah okay so glaucoma is the disease where your optic nerve the one going to your eyeball starts dying because your eye pressure is too hot i didn't even know that's what glaucoma was this whole time yeah. i thought it was like glucose didn't work nope i was like atp you got none you're nope. old it's not the glaucoma it's the glaucoma and it's making your eyeball die and the situation is that the pressure gets really high inside the eyeball. And the reason for that is in your eyeball, there's this aqueous humor liquid shit. How the fuck does CBD or cannabinoids help with that? Well, so hold on. So basically, the reason why the pressure gets high is because there becomes an imbalance between the production of aqueous humor mm. and the outflow of aqueous humor. Right. Your and humors are out of balance. You need more pus. You need more bile. You need more black right. blood. Yeah. All yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But... Well, why are we playing around the bush of cannabinoids instead of just injecting black bile into people? <laughs> <laughs> or we could be attaching leeches to our eyes. Hey, we talked uh, about this. Leeches are useful. Yeah, Maybe not, not for this. <laughs> not for glaucoma. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's actually a project in the lab that I got my PhD in on glaucoma and reducing what's called the intraocular pressure. Do you want to do some shout outs real quick? Uh, like to, to people in the lab? I mean, are they proud of their research whatsoever? Or Yeah, Mike and Trevor. 
Mike and Trevor. Good job, you guys. Northwestern University. Keep up the good work. Chicago. Yeah. They're in, both Ukrainian Chicagoans, proud, born and raised. In Evan Scott's lab. Mm. Yeah, very powerful. Anyway, so uh, cannabinoids do seem to decrease the intraocular pressure. That said, that effect seems to last for about three to four hours. That's... You just got to keep smoking. Well, <laughs> yeah, yes, right. And there appears to be a tolerance effect. Oh. Where more frequent users see less of an intraocular pressure drop. Wow, that sucks a bag of dicks. Right. So what that means is that I think that the anecdotal evidence that it helps for glaucoma is probably a mix of it legitimately helping plus placebo effect and sort of the continued expectation that it's still helping when realistically, you've probably tolerized after a certain point. Interesting. Okay. Now, I didn't know tolerized was a word. That's cool. Yep. Tolerized. It, it gets used a lot in the bio. Worst sci-fi movie ever. <laughs> yeah. Pretty boring. Pretty boring script. <laughs> yeah. So I think that cannabinoids and glaucoma is worthwhile to look into. But the issue right now is that because this tolerance builds up, it's not really an effective clinical treatment mm. uh, and probably needs to be refined in some kind of way so that it, it keeps its efficacy over time. Okay. Um, is there anything else cannabinoids are useful for? This guy gets to something Andre talked about. Yes. So Andre, Andre was addicted to meth and PCP, <laughs> and he finally found marijuana, and it saved his life. <laughs> okay. So one thing that scientists have done is they've done preclinical trials where they gave THC along with morphine. And what they found was that when you co-administer them, the amount of morphine you needed for pain relief was 3.5 times less. And if That's you do it, yeah, if you do THC with codeine, another opioid, then you see pain reduction with nine times less codeine. Here, let's make that really clear for people. Let's say you need 10 pills of opium, okay, to feel better. Now you only need to take. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> pills of opium is already just like. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, yeah, that's about? true. So Stacy's pointing at her. So Stacy had to take 10 pills of opium just to feel happy. <laughs> and then she started smoking weed. And oh now she God. only needs 3.5 times that. Now she only needs 30, <laughs> 35 okay. pills. Okay, okay. So, so now that you got that out of your system, <laughs> look. Uh, you might want to double check your math there. <laughs> so, help me. This is a really important finding because there is a fucking opioid epidemic going on, okay? And if people get THC, it, I mean, like hell, if you can even make formulations already that have the opioids just in solution with THC, and that's just what you give people, you could be giving people way less and maybe prevent a lot of people from getting addicted. So what you're saying is legalize it. Oh, yeah. I'm saying it. Nathan over here is grimacing. Not at all. This is why I, I donate to Mitch McConnell and John Boehner's <laughs> Super PAC. Okay. There's a lot You've of flip flops since the beginning of the episode. No, there's a lot of really prominent Republicans who are trying to make sure Democrats don't make your weed illegal. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. So here's the thing. The endocannabinoid system in your body seems to be involved in addiction. Okay. Just in general, chemical and physical based addictions seem to be interlinked with the endocannabinoid system. And there is evidence to suggest that THC, when it binds to the receptor in your body, might increase the duration of withdrawal symptoms. So that means that if you're suffering because you're under withdrawal from, from cocaine, right, then 
THC might actually make that worse oh, by making you feel the withdrawal for longer. Huh. But inverse agonists. So things that make that receptor signal the opposite of THC might blunt addictive behavior. So that's kind of like the THCV that I was talking about earlier. Okay, cool. So there is a cannabinoid that might actually make the receptor signal the opposite way. Well, that's great then, right? And help cut down on addictive behavior. One of the issues is that it has side effects. Okay. Well, like I mean, depression. Like nausea or something? <laughs> depression and suicidal ideation. There are some studies with what are called neutral antagonists of the receptor. All right, so THC is an agonist. It activates that receptor. What's the difference between an agonist and a protagonist? <laughs> oh, it's kind of a serious question. I was thinking about this. Pr protagonists are like characters in a story. Well, yeah, but antagonists are a character in a story, and you keep using the word antagonist. Yeah, okay. So in drug terms, yes. in drug terms, if you have one molecule a compound interacting with the receptor. If it hits the receptor and turns the receptor on, that's called an agonist, which like, would be like the protagonist. I was about to say, that's Indiana Jones with the audience. Sure. Turn um, them on. You can have something called an inverse agonist, and that hits the receptor and turns it on, but in the opposite direction. Sure. Like it would a lot be of like Martin, putting your car in reverse. Like a lot of Quinn Tarantino heroes. Sure. You mean like anti-heroes or something like that? Yes. And then you can have what are called neutral antagonists. And that means it hits the receptor and it just turns it off. It doesn't let it turn on. Like, right? So that's like your, your car is parked. Like right? Matthew McConaughey's period in the 2000s. Is, is, is he didn't like do much that? for people. <laughs> <laughs> like pre-Dallas Buyers Club? Yeah, pre-McConaughey's. Like okay. Was neutral McConaughey-tagonist. Sure, yes. I'll, I'll accept it. You'll allow it? Now. <sighs> Fuck God, but we're so... No, this serious. is important, though. Okay, 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 look. You tell me about so, you're right, right. So, to recap a little bit, THC, which is the agonist, seems to make withdrawal worse. THCV, which is the inverse agonist, seems to make withdrawal feel better. But maybe you'll kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, it seems to increase depression. Isn't that, like, totally, like, how do you maybe tell cause and effect? they can't get high. Yeah, right? Like, how do you know if it's because of the THCV or if they're just like, I want to be on PCAP, and then they jump off the bridge? Like, how do you know why they jumped off the bridge? It's a comparison of ideation, suicidal ideation versus people who are receiving placebos or something like that. Ah. So they're still getting stuff that they think might be doing something to them. It's just these people are actually having, like, invasive suicidal thoughts. By how much? Oh, I don't know. Did they see Joker recently? <laughs> no, this study was definitely pre-Joker. Okay, but listen, I haven't gotten to the third one yet. Okay, the sexy. third one, keeping your car parked, neutral antagonists in rats seem to reduce the addictive behavior, but without those side effects. Okay? What's an example of a neutral antagonist in this context? Synthetic cannabinoid. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's one that's kind of structurally based on THC. And THCV, they're really similar structures. So it's a similar structure to that, but it's been slightly modified by the scientists. Cool. To not put the car in drive or reverse. Just well, then it it's not organic. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so people hate it. So yeah. So basically, we're gonna we're gonna find out. We're gonna find out if that shit actually works for breaking addiction in that sense. Okay. So so far, we've established that cannabinoids, uh, THC, all that stuff is universally good for nearly every human <laughs> ailment. Are there any health concerns? 
Yeah, so we can talk about them some, but I think let's take a quick break first, and then when we get back to it, we'll talk about those health concerns. Get ready for the seventh season of HBO's hit show, Jimmy Coconuts, Nuts Unknown. Extreme Coconuts! You've seen him smuggle coconuts out from the Forbidden City. Niao, niao, cha cha cha! You've seen him wrestle coconut lions! Oh, that's a lion! Now, Jimmy takes on a challenge he's never faced before. Oh, coconuts! Fatherhood. This season on Nuts Unknown. Exclusively on HBO! And we're back. Marijuana famously causes many, many health concerns. <laughs> Sean, tell me about all those various evils of marijuana. Most of the current data that we have on health concerns comes from recreational use because it hasn't really been legalized or studied the way that it should have been this whole time. So when they look at recreational users, about 9% of long-term users are addicted, which is, I mean, realistically... Pretty low. Like psychologically or physiologically? Physiologically. Okay, cool. They can't get up without weed or stuff like that. So there are apparently somewhat mild withdrawal symptoms people can suffer from if they are very chronic users for a long period of time. As one of those long-time chronic users who does occasionally take breaks and goes without it, the only withdrawal symptom that I personally experience is like vivid dreams. Weird. Like, so if I, if I smoke, if, 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 I, if I'm smoking weed regularly. That's him briefly experiencing reality before getting high again. <laughs> no, no, no. If, if I'm smoking That's weed That's him just being awake sober. And then I decide to quit smoking weed, let's say for two, three, let's say three straight weeks, okay? For about the first week of not smoking weed, I'll have like really intense, vivid dreams. And then it'll sort of fade away into like my normal dreaming patterns. But that's the only symptom I'm even aware of during those periods of time when I stop smoking after smoking for a long time. Well, I mean, to be fair, only 9% of long-term users are addicted. That's also because Andre, during these vivid dreams, sleepwalks and shit straight blood. So he doesn't notice the other <laughs> symptoms. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, I yeah, see. yeah. It's kind of washed out by the... Super ambient. Like, I do want to kind of contextualize a little bit, okay? This, in terms of all of the stuff, health and addictiveness, THC is very, very low on the list out of all of the drugs that people take. Right. Okay? There are many, many other drugs that are significantly more addictive and have harsher health concerns like alcohol, like nicotine. You know what I mean? Like that, it's almost not comparable. Well, alcohol's okay though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the, the uh, shaking is normal, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> Very high levels of THC can cause psychosis. <laughs> um, so, you know, that could be a bummer. I've weeded myself mad. <laughs> um, it is possible. And. You know, as we mentioned, THC interacts with the receptors of the endocannabinoid system. The endocannabinoid system matures and changes during childhood and adolescence. So it would not be strange to think 
that because there's kind of this period of growth and change in that system, tossing in a bunch of stuff that's kind of activating it over and over again might not be a great time to do it. So if you're a kid, getting super high might not be perfect. Might not be. So I will say that the studies on it... But it might also be great. (laughs) The studies on it have a hard time teasing apart the sort of temporary-ish effects on memory versus any kind of like long-term structural brain issue, right? Brain scans of long-term users suggest that there are physical changes to the brain, including decreases in the volume of the hippocampus and amygdala. But the third eye increases by 33%. And they can see space-time. They can actually navigate through (laughs) space-time. The spice must flow, Sean. Yeah, yeah. It it creates a wrinkle in time in their brain. If you will. Yes. So the brain scans of long-term users do look different than sort of non-users. But whether or not that is a meaningful difference is not clear. It just requires so much more research. Yeah. And again, because Democrats in Congress are blocking you, we can't get there. <laughs> Support Mitch McConnell. None of the stuff that I'm talking about, none of that stuff with the addiction or anything like that, psychosis, is known based off of separating out the cannabinoids. Like almost all of these studies are done on just people smoking pot, which means that they're getting like a mix, right? So we don't know if CBD affects the developing brain the way that THC might, etc. When pregnant women use cannabis, it has not resulted in a statistically elevated amount of congenital defects. So now that seems like a difficult thing to study, right? Because it's not like you can take a group of pregnant women and then like ethically tell them to smoke weed while they're pregnant. Right, right, right. Surprising twist, Andre. (laughs) The first round of this research was done in Nazi Germany. (laughs) So we actually have very accurate research on this, ethically or not. (laughs) No. First of all, you're very naughty. (laughs) Second of all... But you love me. Almost all of that research out of the Nazis and the Japanese... It was actually pretty bad, right? It was like dog shit. We can't use any of it. That's funny, because I I have met a few beers in. I've met a few guys who are, you know... And they're like, you know, the Nazis did do science. (laughs) They made rockets. And you're like, I don't know, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Most of the biology science that the Nazis did, just horseshit. Really terrible. No good control. Great theoretical physics. That doesn't surprise me for some reason. Yeah. 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 They were not good at that. Yeah. Um, Very good at building rockets, though. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. Uh, (laughs) I mean, Fuhrer was mad if it didn't fly. So a lot of these studies on the pregnancy effects of cannabis come from sort of uh, retrospective studies where they'll talk to women who have given birth and we can see their babies and see whether or not there are any kind of issues. So basically anthropology. We can ask them about their cannabis use, their nicotine use, their alcohol use, right? So like you can kind of survey these women to understand if they were taking anything. It sounds like a Positive America poll. You know? Well, I mean, it's just like, for example, how do we know that alcohol is bad? We don't. It's good. You fucking hooker. No, I'm talking <laughs> about when you're pregnant, you're not supposed to drink alcohol. And that's because there have been studies not not giving pregnant women drinks. Sean, I've given birth to four bouncing baby boys and I drink every time. But asking after the fact. So look, yes. high dose extracts like wax dabs and shit like that have not been tested So we do not know if like a really, really high dose of cannabinoids can affect pregnancy. Uh, Most of the studies are with, you know, like smoking an occasional blunt or something. We've never done a phase one study where we injected THC straight into the skull of a fetus. (laughs) No, we have not. (laughs) 
thanks Obama. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, dude. <laughs> okay, but look, if you didn't feel like rolling the dice, I would say, hey, maybe don't, you know, take any kind of drug thing if you can avoid it. But, you know, I think overall the evidence seems to suggest no congenital defects. Does seem to slightly lower the birth weight of the baby, but not well, outside of the safe bounds. Too many babies these days are fat anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, something I remember hearing in like the early days of it being public knowledge that cigarettes were bad for you was that when they figured out that like smoking caused low birth weight babies, like that was like a selling point for big tobacco. Like they were like, yeah, you don't want that baby to be too big anyway. Yeah. <laughs> It'll slide out much easier <laughs> if you smoke these Virginia really Slims. That's yeah. awesome. We had really big heads, so we probably could have used a little bit of brain slimming on that one. I already have a tiny brain anyway. What? It's embarrassing because my skull's big, but my brain is the size of a peanut. <laughs> it's a very strange anomaly. Yeah, you're very naughty. That's okay. why I can read, but I can't write. No, you're a good boy. You're a good boy. I like you. Okay, okay Sean. I'm not... what. Tell me about some synthetics. God damn it. I'm not done yet. You keep moving on. To, okay, anyway, look. Okay, this is another thing that we mentioned earlier, which is that pharmacokinetic interactions between drugs, so mixing drugs, should be a concern here because it has been shown that cannabinoids can inhibit what are called CYP enzymes. And CYP enzymes are a big family of enzymes in your body that is used to break down and degrade drugs. So when you take chemo or something like that, or when you take any kind of drug, a lot of times CYP enzymes will be what kind of clears out the drug from your body somewhat. So all of our dosing for drugs is based off of the knowledge that some of it's going to get cleared out. Cannabinoids could make those drugs stick around for longer. And that could mean that you could start to see more serious effects from those drugs, especially if we've dosed them like really carefully. So you could see kind of like a increased effect from that, which could be bad. Last section, we're going to talk about synthetic cannabinoids. Okay, okay so I don't support these because I only like free-range organic cannabinoids. Right, and when we talk about synthetic cannabinoids, there's almost two chunks to talk about. There's synthetic cannabinoids on the streets, and there's synthetic cannabinoids in the labs. And so synthetic cannabinoids have been sold on the street. Usually what they are meant to do is increase the psychotropic characteristics of THC. So they're, they're about the high, right? Like they're not for medicine or something. Right. And usually they're sold as like just that drug, none of the other cannabinoids or terpenes or whatever, any of that stuff. And usually that means that they have a greater risk for psychosis and heart attack. This is like what they sell at disreputable gas stations, right? Like yeah, yeah. Spice and yes. like bath salts. Yes. That kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Spice, I, I definitely recognize as one of these synthetic cannabis. Although, I mean, I don't know, Sean. I mean, like, the websites you have listed here are like Breitbart, <laughs> AlexJones.com, <laughs> Online Library. See, just a few minutes ago, you were saying that those are the cucks that are supposed to be trying to make cannabis more available. Well, they're not cucks. They have sex with other people's wives. So. Oh, I see. I see. Gotcha. Okay. Now... This is in contrast to synthetic cannabinoids in labs and clinical settings, which are trying to look at a particular class of cannabinoid or see if we can tweak a cannabinoid to alter what kinds of effects it has, maybe strengthen its therapeutic health effects and get rid of its psychotropic effects sure. or something. Getting lab researchers high after hours is really just a side effect. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that it'll be interesting if we actually do 
kind of deschedule it on the federal level to get to look at when we take cannabinoids and we isolate them and we're looking at them one by one or in specific mixes, what kind of effects they have. Just out of curiosity, we're wrapping the episode up. What do you mean by descheduling this drug? What does that mean? Yeah, so marijuana is a Schedule 1 drug. What's Schedule 1? Schedule 1 means... the same category as the most dangerous ones. Yeah, it's... So there's like some sort of federal listing of drugs? Right, and in the schedule, it's usually how addictive and dangerous it is versus its medical uses Mm. determines where on the schedule it falls. And in in the 1930s, when this list started to get germinated, right, like marijuana back then was so potent... That it was just as dangerous <laughs> as heroin and fluoride. But now it's changed. My understanding is it was considered dangerous because of... Uh, You're, you uh, Watch out. <laughs> this is too, it's dangerous territory. <laughs> because of racists. Right. Uh, who were angry that black people and Latino people were associated somewhat with marijuana. Even though, the, I mean, there were white people smoking it in the 30s, too. A lot of them. Reefer Madness. Yeah. And... I think that right now it's Schedule 1, which means that it has no known, purportedly, it has no known medical use, which is factually incorrect. Yeah, like, I, I, I just looked it up. The definition, according to the federal government, of a Schedule 1 drug are drugs defined as drugs with no current accepted medical use and high potential for abuse. Of which marijuana falls into neither category. Right, yeah, it's really beautiful. The, what? <laughs> the, the, it's Your it's beautiful because sick. it's a super straightforward example of a not Schedule One drug. <laughs> right. Like, it's so clear that they did it for non-legitimate reasons. Out of racial animus. Yeah, and it really shouldn't be there. I mean, frankly, it should just be legalized anyway. But even if it wasn't going to be legalized... It should be scheduled somewhere else on that fucking schedule. Once you're in schedule, because something that's scheduled two can potentially be prescribed, right? Yes. So schedule one is drugs that there's no hope of, like a doctor cannot write you a prescription. There's absolutely no reason you'd ever want to take it aside from breaking the law. Well, and and it's interesting because right now these drugs, well, cannabinoids are starting to become legal on the state level. But that has no useful impact on science, right? Because science requires grants to do this research. It has to be legal on the federal level. Or the scientist doing it could be in some way liable. Yeah, so I I will say that the main thing is just what you get a grant to do the research on. And since most of the grants in the United States come from the NIH or the NSF, both of them federal government funded, you can't get grants to study cannabis typically from them there might be some labs here and there that can get some kind of state funding for research there are state level grants justin trudeau just throws on some brown face and comes to your lab and is like let's get high together now you've got some canadian money the canadians have their own scheduling and federally legal marijuana right right so you know you are starting to see more research in other countries that have already legalized it on their federal which is why it's important that even if you don't think maybe some random people should get high it's important that there's federal allowances for research or just legalization because this is stuff that obviously some cannabinoids have medical benefit and definitely if nothing else needs to be researched in more detail. Yeah. And that's only going to happen if the law makes allowances for it. It's good stuff, baby. All right. I mean, is that true or not? I don't know. Uh, I agree with you. Yeah, because I'm friends with John Boehner and he just tells me stuff as we make love in a golf lounge. So I don't know if that's true or not. You're such a silly guy. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to stop. 
Thank you guys for listening to our two-parter on cannabinoids. Yeah, so this second episode is dropping after American Thanksgiving, so we've we've kind of sandwiched Thanksgiving in between some some tasty marijuana. So yeah. you know, because of munchies. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And you guys, I hope you I hope you gave thanks. There's a lot of things to be thankful for, like weed or THC <laughs> or CBD, John Boehner, you know, Jimish McConnell. Like generally, the structure of the Republican Party. What the fuck? <laughs> and and of course, to the people who who make this pot happen, you, our loyal listeners, support PBS and your local station. Holy shit! <laughs> and then also Andre for showing up and sharing all of your street knowledge with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord. Thank you, Brian Allen, for art. And I hope that you guys will follow us and tweet at us on Twitter, at Dish Podcast. You can send us an email on any kind of comments about some kind of cannabinoid shit or something. I don't know. Um, at uh, PetriDishPod at gmail.com. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash PetriDish. And, yeah. Have a scientastic day. Ich bin ein Science. Science! <laughs> you guys have a good science. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys.